let's see, some of you have been asking about my mom. Um, her health is is kind of deteriorating now. Um, she had, yeah, she's almost 95. And yeah, this is kind of amazing. And um, it kind of runs in the family, at least on her side. But um, she has, uh, has a significant uh, struggle with osteoporosis. So that has uh, reminded me to pay attention to my bone density as well, those of you that know about that. But she's been dealing now with um, compression fractures in her, uh, in her spine. And so they have these, uh, these treatments, this treatment called kyphoplasty, which what they do is they actually, it's all laser driven, but they put um, uh, medical cement into the into where the fracture is, and then that stabilizes it. But what our pharmacist told us is that when they do that, the muscles that are around the, that sort of guard the spinal cord have to kind of realign because even just the slight little um, deviation in that creates uh, muscle spasms and that kind of thing. So it's really kind of the combination of the of what's going on with the nerves in the spinal cord, but then also the muscles around it. So she is, for the last um, two and a half weeks now, has been kind of in and out of uh, hospital dealing with that, and then also in rehab. So she's currently in rehab. So part of the uh, part of the reason why I'm telling you is that I I appreciate um, your patience with me because I'm the name I'm the primary. Uh, and I'm not the caregiver here, but I am the power of medical attorney for my mom. So that means that um, a, a lot of my energy now is being diverted, uh, not away from the church, but to try to fit it all in is getting harder to do. So um, uh, I'm one of those people that um, Pastor Coleman was talking about this morning in the sermon with the need to get away, okay? <laughs> I'm looking for the mountain right now, let me tell you, okay, um, because that just kind of gives, uh, gives me buffers in between uh, people that I work with and people that I see. And so what's happening is that the buffers are being, that, that her needs are being taken up by the buffers. So those of you that, and I know many of you have been in a situation like this where you're caring for uh, an aging parent. And I think on paper, I always understood that, or at least had empathy for it. Now I know. Now I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a load. So, uh, so anyway, I just wanted to bring you up to speed on that. We're not, we have not been putting her in the prayers. Some of that is, uh, is mostly on my, my choice, partly because when, um, when you do that, then I'll get 30 people wanting to know about how she's doing. And that's just too tiring for me to answer all those things. So I'm letting you know in a broad way. And then, of course, it'll be on the podcast. So now then, then the whole world will know. <laughs> so there is a, there's a little uh, method here to my madness. But anyway, that's if I seem a little distracted at times or if I drop a phone call or if uh, I don't get back to you immediately in terms of some email or I just double book. I mean, that's the other possibility here is that I'll say, yeah, sure, let's meet, and then I've already scheduled somebody. So um, if that happens, just understand, okay, he is not in his right mind right now, and uh, we'll do the best we can with that, right, Gail? Right. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into our study for uh, today. 
We are in chapter 30 of uh, Genesis, but before we do that, I have been notified that one among us uh, recently celebrated a birthday. And there might be others among us that have done that, but I was not made aware of that, but I am aware of that now. So if we could sing happy birthday to Nancy, then we can do that. Okay, so let's, uh, who, will, who will start us in the birthday song? A choir person, Stephen. Happy birthday Happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Nancy, happy birthday to you, yay, yeah, did that embarrass you at all? I don't know, I like it, I'll remember it, just, uh, just elbow that guy next to you there, he's the one that kind of told us, all right, very good. Okay, so we're in Genesis 30, and this chapter could easily be called the sex chapter. Oh, yeah, 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 because there's a lot of sex going on in this chapter right here. I just want just to lay that out. It's all legal, okay? It's all moral. There's no, no messing around here on the side, but I just want to, in, uh, in case anybody is squeamish about those things, I've just given you a heads up that, uh, that uh, we're, we're there. All right, so where we are in the story is, uh, uh, you know, Jake, uh, Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel. So Jacob has the two wives, which he uh, earned by working seven years for one and seven years for the other. And so that was the, the agreement that was made with, uh, with their dad, whose name was uh, Laban, who is the uncle of, uh, of Jacob. And so uh, remember last week, uh, in chapter 29, is that uh, Rachel is a younger, and he is, she is the one that uh, Jacob is really smitten with. He, he just absolutely fell in love with her, and then, oh, I'll do anything, even work for seven years, even if it means that the one I ended up marrying was the older one, which was Leah. But Leah turns out to be, uh, uh, has children very easily. I don't really know what the adjective of that would be, but, but uh, hmm, what? Fertile. Oh, is that okay? That would be that word. Yes. And so, uh, you know, where uh, Jacob and Rachel are doing the marital duty, nothing's coming from it. But with Leah, she has been able to get to bear four sons to uh, to Jacob. So, so there is a lot of stigma, which would have been uh, given to uh, Rachel because she didn't have any children, and this great glory of having children would have been for Leah. So what effect do you think that would have had on the sister-to-sister rivalry that would have existed in those days, but which, of course, we know would never exist in our day today, right? Okay, anybody have sisters? Sister to sister, okay, so is this, is this accurate to say that there's like a little robbery sometimes between sisters? Is there a spirit? Okay, good. Okay, yeah, Marvin? Well, we think there'd be some animosity, yeah. and it's a sad situation anyway. I mean, you have one sister who can have children, but it's not loved. Yes. The, other, the other sister is loved, but wants children. There's real irony there, isn't there? Because it, it, it sort of hits you that the one that wasn't loved thought that if I give my husband children, then he will love me. Well, if 
if he doesn't love me, maybe I would settle for just having him be attentive to me, or maybe he would speak well of me in public or whatever. And apparently that was not happening, okay? It wasn't that he was abusive of her in that sense, uh, in, a, in an active way, but it could have been in, the, in more of a passive way that he just kind of noticed that she was there and maybe that was about it, okay? So that's what's happened so far. So we pick it up in verse 1 of uh, chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. (laughs) And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? So he's saying, hey, I'm doing my part, right? (laughs) Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. And because of this, she named him Dan. Okay, now we got to remember in those days, remember the servant was part of the household. So this is not polygamy. And the other part of this is that the prohibition against polygamy didn't happen until way later when God's law was given. But polygamy was common in those days. There were men that had many wives, and this was not seen by the culture as being anything uh, immoral or bad or evil or anything like that. In In many cases, there were children involved in that sort of thing, and that's what we have here. So Bilhah becomes a kind of a surrogate, if you will, but the child that would be born, because slaves didn't have any rights, then the child that would be born, fathered by Jacob, then would be considered the son or the daughter of, uh, of the household, in this case, Rachel. Okay, But notice there's kind of a theme now. We've been in Genesis long enough to have seen the story of Abraham, the story of Isaac, and now the story of Jacob that that central theme is, is that God has a special plan tied to the timing of and the birth of a child. And it's almost as if that God had this particular idea in mind that it was going to be the unexpected way. Remember, the, the expected way was that whatever child would be born first, that child would be the one through whom the promise would go. That was the normal thing. That certainly was how it was handled with respect to the expectation, anyway, of the, uh, of the inheritance, of the blessing. We saw that with uh, Esau and Jacob. But God always turns things upside down. See, he, he doesn't do it in the way that we expect for it to be. He does it in the way that he expects for it to be. So see, all these children that come along through, uh, through Leah and through Bilhah, um, yes, they are gifts and blessings to the family, but God is working his own deal. He's got his own deal going, and he has something very special in mind. So there is this, this provision, this theme of barrenness and then a timely birth, and that's what we see working its way all the way through uh, through this, okay? Um, so, so that's what we're picking up here. And again, it, it is this idea of this rivalry between the two sisters that's based on who has kids 
and when the children come and things like that. All right, well, let's go to verse 7. So Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. <laughs> yes. I love that part. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So Leah's serpent Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. So uh, apparently in the tent, wherever they lived, they had this scorecard. And maybe it was like, it was like, you know, who's winning? This is, this is pretty good, isn't it? You know, and, and I was kind of thinking, Jacob, he probably is kind of tired by now, isn't he? <laughs> You know, I mean, poor guy. I mean, I say poor guy. I don't maybe maybe not. He never guy. said no. He never said no. <laughs> I know. The Bible doesn't reveal all the things that went on here, but we certainly have. So there's sort of a, you know, kind of a thing going on here. Yeah. Uh, uh, Austin, did you want to? Did you raise your hand? Yes. Was there like a difference between like first wife and like where the inheritance of the first child? Wife, the second wife. Okay, say that again. What you're asking. Was the first child born without the inheritance? Or the first child born with the first wife? Well, it would have been the first child because that was the norm. Because the, the assumption was, was that the first wife couldn't have children and wouldn't have children. Okay. And the longer time went by and the older that she got, then the likelihood of it happening was less and less and less, okay? And yet, God's plan was, was that that didn't matter. Because think about how old Sarah was when she gave birth to Isaac. How old was she? 90. So that's like, whoa, you know? So, I mean, you think even in those days, people lived longer. So I don't know, maybe proportionately it was, you know, I'm not very good at math, so I don't know how to figure that out. But, but it, maybe it was, but still... I mean, you know, imagine raising a teenager at 106 or something. I mean, gosh, what would that be like? Whoa, yeah. Yeah, somebody else had their hand up. Yes, no? Okay. All right, so, so anyway, that's why I said this is the sex chapter. This is it right here. Now, notice what, what, what struck me when I was reading through this um, is Leah is most focused on whom? Jacob. Jacob. Not on God. Now, she, God is there. I mean, she's trying to praise him. But she still is thinking what about the blessing of a child? That what? That Jacob would what? Yeah, that, that Jacob will, will respect her, would honor all those kinds of things. So, so her focus in having the child was on not on God, but, and I don't mean this idolatry, but I just mean she's really still aiming for Jacob, okay? Uh, Rachel is most focused on whom? Leah. She's not focused on God either. Um, judging that, I don't think, but I, it's easy to do, isn't it? That when you feel about your life, that it's not where you want it to be or what you thought it would be and dreamed that it would be, it's not turning out that way, right? It's easy to get out of the shift or go into the shift of away from how is God going to bless me in this current life, in this current situation, and move it over into, if only I had this, 
then everything would be okay. If only I had a child, if only I had a job, if only, I mean, what tends to happen is, is that the focus is on something external to me rather than drawing it back in and saying that God still walks with me, I still walk with him, and the focus of my life and the direction that it gives is going to be found in him. Now, I, I know it's awfully easy to say that. Because when you're, you're grieving the loss of something, or you're wishing that something wasn't the way it is, okay? It's so easy to say, oh, if only that, that I'm missing could be given. Or if only the thing that I lost was still there, right? That then somehow that would be the thing that would give me a sense of, of good feeling, a sense of happiness, a sense of blessedness, okay? And so that's the sad side of this. The happy side is that, that there's a prolific childbearing kind of thing going on here, right? <laughs> right? There is, but it also seems a little misplaced because it's like saying, I can't be fulfilled unless I have that happen to me. And the question would be then, well, what if that doesn't happen to you? Is your life totally shot? Is is there no value to it at all? Is there no purpose to it? And and that was one of the traps that I think they had fallen into. Does that make sense? To, yeah, it's just it's so uh, it's so striking here. Okay, well let's just keep on going with this. Verse twelve. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, "How happy I am! The women will call me happy." I know. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben, now remember who's Reuben? Yeah, we, now we need a map of who everybody is. So who's Reuben? Leah's oldest. Remember he's, uh, by the way, how is, he, how is he remembered in the Bible later? What did Reuben do? He saved Joseph's life. Remember how he did that? Because the brothers wanted to kill kill him, right? That's kind of a common theme too, isn't it? Um, I want to kill my brother. Um, And so then what did Reuben suggest? Let's throw him in that well, and then he'll, you know, learn his lesson, that little snot, and then then what'll happen is, is we'll, uh, you know, we'll bring him back, and then he'll be okay. And then what did the other brothers do when they threw him in the well? They said, hey, let's sell him into slavery. (laughs) And so then when Reuben went back to to get Joseph, yeah, he's, he's long gone, and the other brothers are going, well, ha, ha, we showed you. So, that, you know, th- this is not a happy family here, all right? This is not, this is not. Now, I've said this a million times, a million times. God's promises work through dysfunctional families, right? You do not have to have a wonderful family in order to be a blessing uh, by by God's in terms of what God's going to do, and that should be comforting to all of us sitting here today, right? It really is. Well, because you, any of us could look at our families and say, "Oh, good Lord!" I mean, we could do that, right? They're probably saying that about us, right? And so we would think, "Oh, there's no no good can come out of my family." Oh, you know, what's the whole point here, right? We could say that humanly. God doesn't look at it that way. He's got a different set of eyeballs than we do. Okay. Yeah. Mary Jo. I went to a funeral on Friday. Uh-huh. Uh, the woman was uh, 
95, mm -hmm. and she had 13 children. 13. The oldest of which is a dear friend of ours. Yeah. And his comment was, do you know how to make one of your siblings, 13 children, mm -hmm. siblings mad at you? Yeah. And I was like, I what? Know was, that, yeah. Do anything. <laughs> do anything. Did you hear what she said? Do anything? Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 13. Wow. So my mom, uh, my mom came out of a family of 13 and she's the oldest girl. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So in those days, that was like the big thing. Um, because if you were going to have younger ones, then the older one's job was to take care of the, uh, that. And so you had built-in babysitters. So, yeah. You can do something and you still done something wrong. That's right. Yeah. So you just have to learn to, and I think being in a family like that would teach you that. You got a little thicker skin that way. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered is that all you have to do is every once in a while, just remind uh, uh, all the rest of them who the favorite is. That, I mean, really. Yeah. But you know, they're, I mean, it's great fun until you're the one, right? Now it's kind of coming back to uh, bite me. All right. Well, let's see what happens here. During, uh, yeah, they go, oh, you're the favorite, so why don't you take care of that? Okay. All right, so during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. We'll talk about that in a second, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. This is, I love this. This is so great, isn't it? So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he slept with her that night. Okay, mandrakes is, a, is another way of it is what's called mayapples, okay? And that was considered a, an aphrodisiac, and apparently it was. It, was just, it wasn't just thought of that way, apparently it was, because pregnancy has happened all over the place here. All right, so, so what's happening here is is that Rachel's thought was, I need a boost because I'm not, we're having sex, but I'm not having children. So she thought, well, maybe it's a vitamin deficiency, <laughs> right? Or something. Yeah, that's what she thought. And so she thought, well, I'm going to get some of those May apples from, uh, from Reuben. And, but see, but then Leah hears about it. And this became, became a negotiated uh, agreement here is what that became. And so again, you, it's just, I'm thinking, golly, does anybody here feel bad for Jacob here? It's, it's kind of hard to feel bad for the guy. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on here that he probably was kind of interested in. But, but still, I mean, to be thought of as now as a hireling, and you have these really strong women that are kind of pushing him around a little bit. I mean, there's a trade-off there, I guess. But anyway... Uh, Am I blushing, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> All 
All right, well, let's see what happens next. Since you asked, yes. Yeah, I just, you know, in the, trying to be transparent here. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's really, it's just the coffee's awful hot, so yeah. Verse 17, so God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. See, she wasn't having any kids before, I mean, until after the fourth one was born. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor. See, there's still... There's still that sad, that sad part to this, right? Because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. So we have all these sons, and now we have the little sister, right? Okay. All right. So, so again, you can hear the pain in her statement, can't you? That, that at the end of the day, God's blessing me. I'm so happy. I'm surrounded by these kids that love me. But the first love that she had was denied her. And there is a kind of a wound, I think, that happens for most people, and it certainly happened here, is that when the, the pursuit that you had of someone in terms of loving that person, even if that person didn't return the love, there still is like that, that that hope maybe or that yearning that someday maybe it would happen and so kind of holding out hope each time and then it 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 didn't happen and so that's kind of a, the tragic side of this story as well okay so now we go to the next verse then god remembered rachel he listened to her and enabled her to conceive she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph, and he said, and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Was there another son coming down the pike? Yeah. Who was the youngest in the family eventually? Benjamin. Remember Benjamin? Yeah. And he became pivotal in the Joseph story, which we'll eventually get to like five years from now. And, and, uh, uh, but that story is where um, the family, you know, goes to Egypt because of the famine. So that's, that's yet to come, okay? All right, so what do you make of this where it says, God remembered? Had he forgotten her? So what do, you, what, do you, what do you do with that word remember? Because it's in the Bible quite often, okay? Describing God's um, action towards something, yeah. I think it's more like, like a yeah, it's not this. We know it's not that. Yeah, like, oh, I forgot. Now I remembered it. That would be our human uh, view of it, okay? It's kind of interesting that when the word remember is used, uh, speaking of God, is that it's always tied to a kairos moment. So remember, we've talked about this from uh, different times. Kairos and chronos are the two words those are the Greek words in the Bible that have to do with time. So, so chronos would be what? Like days, months, minutes, seconds, etc. That's the, the chronology of things, right? Um, kairos is a designated moment. It's a designated time uh, of God's choosing, but of God's planning. 
So when it says here that God remembered Rachel, what he's really kind of remembering in some sense is, is okay, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on task here with my plan, and my plan means that, that now is the time for the birth of the son through whom the covenant promise would be extended. Now, he's not saying that at this point, but that's what's going on in terms of, in terms of, of remembering him. And so there is some, again, some sense of this that, that when Rachel says, well, I, I, I've been, now been vindicated. I mean, you sort of get, again, there's like this, this extra thing going on, this extra drama that is taking away the joy of the birth of the child because the birth of the child now means something more than just, oh, how happy I am that I have this child. It's almost like there's a human uh, purpose that extends into the negative rather than being something totally positive, right? And so we again the the issue between the two sisters is what uh, is what's driving that. All right, so let's see what happens. So so now how many kids are there? Eleven. There's eleven. Remember, because how many tribes of Israel would come out of this? Twelve. All right, so we know there's there's going to be one more, but of course they don't know that at the time. And Joseph is, I mean uh, uh, Jacob, he's probably just going, okay, okay, yeah, ready for a break. All right. So verse twenty-five. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Now, where have we heard this before? Name your wages and I will pay them was the first thing that was said when they were negotiating for the hand of, uh, of Rachel, right? So that was, you know, that was going to be the, that was going to be the thing. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. And what's also different now is that uh, Jacob is older and smarter, and he now sees the, the, the way this is going to work. And he's not just going to make any promise and just because he happens to be smitten by a girl that he sees. Okay, so let's see what happens. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little that you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now when I may do something for my own household, what shall I give you? He asked, That's Laban asking that. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Okay, so notice that he says, there's no, there's no amount of money that could make me stay. Nothing that you can do, right? So he's setting Laban up in the same way that Laban set him up 14 years before or 14 plus years before in terms of the marrying the two daughters. So this time he says, oh, there's nothing I want, but if you would just do this one little thing for me. Right? I love that. I love that part. I call that style the Columbo style. Okay? Columbo style. You know the 
TV show, Columbo? Yeah, Columbo would always get the guy that did the crime, right? But he would do it by just annoying the heck out of that person. And his favorite line was, just one more thing. Yeah, I was talking to one of my colleagues about that one time. And she sent me a Columbo thing for my key ring. (laughs) Yes, I was so amazed by that. And it says on there, just one more thing. So if you hear me say that, you'll know that I've adopted that style for me. Yes, yes. It's so, it's so unassuming. It's so disarming. It's just perfect for getting at people. So, all right. So he says, if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future that whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not, is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Okay, now we're actually going to talk next time about what all that means because I, I have to read up on it. I don't quite understand the husbandry aspect or the genetic aspect of, of why he wanted to do this, all right? But that's what he ends up doing. All right, And part of this was that, and the note there says that, in the Middle East, most goats are born either brown or black, while most lambs are born white. Okay, so there is some thought being given to this of, I'm going to take off of your hands the blemished animals, right? And Laban would have accepted that because he would have thought that he was getting the better end of the deal. Yeah, because why would you want to take those that are probably not going to be marketable. The ones that would be marketable would be the ones that would fit the norm for that day. All right, but what we're going to see uh, next week is that uh, there is a method to this madness here, right? And so, agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. That's a kind of a way of confirming the agreement. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his son. And then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Why would they, why would they, they have done that? So there wouldn't be any more, yeah, because when those, when those animals went into heat, then there would be mating going on. And here we're trying to separate out the... Uh, uh, physical effects, and so that's the way that we can do that, okay? All right, it, does anybody know anything about husbandry and that kind of thing as far as this goes as to why and the science behind it? Just that the black wool is, is desirable. I think it had other properties. Maybe, there, maybe that's what it was. So would you like to study this up, Stephen? Would you, would you take a look at yeah, well, we'll have someone else look at the goats, and you can look at the sheep then. So re- if you could report back to us next week, that would be excellent then. Yeah, maybe some diagrams or something could go with that. All right, well, yeah, Richard. Yeah, Richard, yeah. You uh, said the covenant was broke for Joseph. Uh-huh. Well, you look at the genealogy of Jesus, so 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so we're going to have to see. Okay. So another way of saying it at this point, I don't know. So it, um, that because the, the Judah part would be how the nation would be uh, named as Judah. So we have Judah, we have Israel, um, and then we have Joseph. But Joseph becomes the savior of the family. So uh, let's, let's, we'll take a look at that and see. Okay? Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Okay, well, we got out of church early, so we're going to get out of class early, too. So um, we'll be able to, yeah. Is anybody objecting to that? Is, that? is that okay if we do that? All right, well, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. We thank you for the way that, the way that the Bible tells the story. Lord, this is not a glamorous time in the history of Israel. It's a, God's people are just doing God's people stuff. And, and where, where that comforts us is that, that we're, we're getting to see the story as it really was. It's, it's not been doctored in some way. It's not, it's not been glamorized in some way. It's, just, it's the story of, of how you work through the lives of dysfunctional people. And, th and that, that's going to be comforting to us because that means that you're working the same with the same grace and the same, same uh, gospel in our lives as well. So help us not be discouraged by that, Lord. Help us to be encouraged that our lives can really make a difference, but it's because of what you are doing through us. So watch over us this day, dear Lord. Uh, be with us this week. And until we gather again next week.